Coming up right now, the newest episode from Carr, Gwyn, and Ode on Three Pagans and a Cat. Hey folks, CJ Grimm here from Poking Dead Things. It's a hard job doing what we do, and it can get kind of gross. We know that you work hard too, so I'm here to tell you that at the end of a hard day, nothing beats a hot bath and a cold beer. So treat yourself right and head to Twisted Willow Soap Company and indulge in a bath bomb with your favorite six-pack. Remember, the only girly thing about a bath bomb are the sounds you're going to make in excitement. Twisted Willow Soap Company. Body. Mind. Soul. Rivers, ponds, lakes, and streams, they all have different names, but they all contain water. Just as religions do, they all contain truths. Welcome to Primers on Practices, the 74th episode of Three Pagans and a Cat. Our opening today is courtesy of 20th century athlete Muhammad Ali. You may call me Ode. You can call me Carr. I'm Ode's father. Mary Meet. My name is Gwyn, Ode's mother. And you have to admit, Muhammad Ali was a very wise man. He had some good turns of phrase. He was, he was he also did. a poet. Yeah. All right. Let's do our housekeeping. He also punched really hard. He punched yes, really he hard. Yeah, did. So he was funny. amazing. So, housekeeping. So, yep. Start with our patrons. patrons. We have 21 kittens. Thank you, kittens. We love you, kittens. Our cats are Alexis, Amber, Amy, the Beehive Coven, Cheryl McGuire, Christy Claxton, <laughs> Cindy Barrick, Gary Bearstorm, Jasmine Ray Bell, Megan Suckalo, Michelle Kukulek Burkick, Rebecca Hillman, Sokora, Tanya Allen, and Zacchaeus. Thank you, cats. Thank you, cats. We love you. Our hunters are... A billion. 40, 41. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> Alyssa Addy, Blondie, Briar Aldridge, Charles Howison, Delilah Darge, Darby Lockridge, Elfwart, Erica Mead, Felicia Hudson, Finn Odinson, Heather Cartwright, Henry Wodenhouse, Ivy Montgomery, Yanni, Jen, Jessica Helmore, Jessica Jones, Kimberly Lockaby, Kitty Chat 47, Laudine, Lee Lynn, Lorelai, Lunera Oakleaf, Meredith Kenton, Misha Magdalene, Natalia Ratchford, Nicodemus Tibbetts, Owlin Crow, Pablo B. Fodor, Ray Lothrop, Rana, Sarah Parkinson, Sarah LePage, Stacy Delore, Stephanie Edwards, Stevie Thompson, The Sugar Maple Seder, Timothy Paul Schneider, Usha Ursa, Victoria Selness, Yukara Lunara, and Squeaky. Thank you to our many, many hunters. We love you, hunters. That's actually 42. That's yes, amazing. 42 hunters. Holy crap. Holy <laughs> crap. Our leopards are Akaneko, Adrian Summit, and Foxchild. Thank we, you, leopards. We love you, leopards. Our tigers are Crystal of Apothecary Tees, Alora Driver, Misha Lutz, Nix Fallingleaf, Silken Fern, and Tree Wizard Creations. We love you, tigers. Mm-hmm. Our panthers are QQN. And we love our QQN. We do love QQ. <laughs> our jaguars are... Jaguars. Amanda Hicks, Justin Stanage, Kirsten Ray, and Bill L. We love you, jaguars. Yes. And our lion is Leanne. All right. We love uh, you, our lion. Yes, our, our, our singular lion. Our singular, singular lion. lion. All right, that is all of our patrons. Holy There's a whole bunch of you now. Yes. There are so many, and we thank really, you for your support. We appreciate you so much. 
We recently had some polling on the Facebook page mm-hmm. where we asked you guys what sort of content you were looking for us to cover in the new year because now that we've moved to weekly, we do a lot more episodes. That's right. So we were like, oh gosh, <laughs> we, we, we could use some help filling in our schedule. That's yep. right. So, uh, so we did some polling with you guys and we've managed to schedule out about the next six months yep. just from your suggestions. So every thank you very week much. Yeah, every for the week. next six months. That's kind of amazing. Yeah. Yes, yep. we'll be at convocation in February. We're going to be teaching three classes. Three classes. Yep. We will be teaching speaking with symbols on February twentieth, which we have taught before. Yep. Mm-hmm. We will be teaching spoons, self care, and paganism on February twenty first, which I'm very excited yes, about. Yes, we've been working on that classic. It's going to be good. We will be moderating the History of Witchcraft panel on Friday, February 21st. Mm-hmm. Which will be excellent. Yep. Which also includes Jason Mankey. Pat. Pat, Pat and, and Paul. Paul right. Um, mm-hmm. uh, From Arts and Craft. Arts and Craft. Mm-hmm. And Ian Corrigan. Yep. Mm-hmm. I will be uh, joining the guys from... Around Grandfather Around Fire. Around Grandfather Fire for Facing the Judgment of the Outside World panel. Nice. That Very is on nice. Saturday, February 22nd. Yep. And then we will also be teaching liminal, gender and sexuality on the 22nd. Which is another class that we're looking forward to. Very, very much looking forward to those two classes. Of course, we love our divination class. Right, yeah. That's a great class. And... We have 90 minutes for our classes this year. Each right. class. Each class. 90 minutes. Amazing. So, uh, speaking with symbols will be a little bit expanded from what it's been in the past, because previously we've only ever had an hour for that class. Mm-hmm. Yep. We're looking forward to this year's convocation lineup. It looks like it's going to be good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're ready to get into it. So, mm-hmm. this is uh, the most suggested, uh, the most requested episode from that polling we did on Facebook. Yep. This was the top. They had, yes. they had a lot had of a votes. Lot of, had a lot of votes, yeah. Yep. So, we're going to be doing some basic overviews of various various pagan and magical practices. Mm-hmm. This is going to be a really brief overview of a lot of subjects right. rather than a deep dive into any of them because that would take us six hours and I think right. more. Yeah, because this but is But we are scheduling huge. deep dives yeah. into our individual yeah. paths. Yeah, so there will be episodes coming in the future that will do more in-depth explorations of Druidry, Heathenry, and Hecatean witchcraft specifically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we just wanted to give people, since it was very highly very requested, yep. uh, and since we know a lot of you guys are beginners or just sort of ex- starting out on your exploration. Trying to figure out where you're going. Yeah, so the, we're, we're just going to give you overviews of sort of the the most popular, I guess, most yep. common yep. practices. Mm-hmm. So for now, let's have Car start with discussion of neo-paganism as a, as a sort of a, a broad subject. Right. So, you know, we've talked about this before, that the term pagan actually comes from the Latin paganus, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, originally meant like country dweller, villager, or hick, for lack yeah. of a better term. <laughs> yep. um, Local yokel. The early Roman Christians started referring to anybody who worshipped pre-Christian deities mm-hmm. as pagans. Mm-hmm. And so it became very much a negative term. Yeah. Pejorative. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. yep. For quite a while. And it's been somewhat reclaimed. And there's actually multiple different paganisms. Mm-hmm. So I thought this was interesting. So there's paleo-paganism. Okay. Are the original tribal face of Europe, Africa, Asia, the Americas, Oceania, and Australia, where in most cases they are still practiced. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this would be 
Hinduism, Taoism, mm. Shinto. So the ones that have, um, have managed to preserve right. yep. their so, Some of the Native American yeah. yep. uh, religions Aboriginal. and that kind of yeah, Aboriginal. Yep. So those would be... The truly unbroken tradition. Correct. Yes. So those would be Paleo-Paganism. And I, I think I can say, for the most part, those are paths that you almost should be, like, born, born into. into, rather than trying to... I mean, Hinduism's probably not that way anymore. It's, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's, it's more I, broad. I, but, I believe uh, Hinduism accepts converts. Right. Mm. But some of them don't. Yeah, some of them do not. Some of them are closed traditions. Right, yeah. Yep. I would just be very careful with any of the mm-hmm. Paleo-Paganism. If you are so, outside those traditions. Yeah. Yep. Those, definitely those don't try cultures. to I would say definitely don't try to self-initiate into those. Right. Yeah. 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 Go find someone. Yeah. So mesopaganisms are religions that were founded as attempts to recreate, revive or continue ah. uh, what their founders thought of paleo-pagan ways. Okay. Right. So yeah. in so this trying case, to recreate. Right. So like Vudan, mm-hmm. uh Santeria, some aspects of Hinduism, oddly mm-hmm. enough, especially those that are somewhat incorporated into Christianity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Druidry would be one of those. Heathenry. Heathenry would mm-hmm. be one of those. Uh, modern Hermeticism. Yep. yep. Perhaps yep. some of the Hellenic, the, the yes. Hellenismos. Yep. Hellenismos. Yep. Re- reconstructed Hellenismos, yep. yeah, because that died out in the ninth century. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then neo-paganism is a fairly new term that's mm-hmm. come about since about 1960 or so. And it was an attempt to blend all of that stuff together into one grouping. And I believe um, it, uh, I believe the term neo-paganism started with academics. And it yes. was, uh, it was originally rejected by the communities. Uh, by the communities, yeah, right. that it was applied to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've heard a lot of people recently complain about the overarching term of paganism. Mm-hmm. I'm a Wiccan. I'm not a pagan. Uh-huh, mm-hmm. yeah. You see a lot of heathens do that, too. Right. And a lot of druids. I mean, there's a lot mm-hmm. in every group that are like, mm-hmm. I don't like this term. Right. But we need to think of it as that kind of container. An umbrella. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. for all of these faiths. Like we talk about Christianity, but within Christianity, there's there's Southern Baptist and there's Lutheran and there's Catholic Mm -hmm. and there's, you know. Mm -hmm. And so if we think about it in those terms, almost like you would be drawing a diagram and... Like a Venn diagram? A Venn diagram, yeah. yeah, You know, so I think it's a helpful term to put all of us together in one group, even though we have different, very different beliefs. Mm -hmm. We all do kind of hang out together Right. We have enough beliefs that I think coalesce that make it easier. So I don't think it's a term we ought to disregard. Mm-hmm. And not everybody's going to agree with me. That's my own personal opinion. Right. But it's uh, something that I think would be good to keep around. So common neo-pagan beliefs. Okay. Somewhat. So generally. Generally, right. So polytheism. Generally. So belief in mm-hmm. many gods. Right. That's common. Common, yep. Reverence of nature. Common. Mm-hmm. Yep. Magic and karma. Semi-common. Yep, yep. Common practices Mm -hmm. of neo-paganism would be solar cycles. For the most part, I think that's true. Lunar cycles. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Personal spirituality. Right. So those things are all, like, very common to... Common tenets. Yes, to... Which find different kinds of expression. Correct. Right. Yep, throughout. So that's my basic intro to (laughs) neo-paganism. Very it's nice. a very, yeah, it's a yeah, very basic very, one, but. Very nice You're right, but yeah, that's, that's what, what we're, we're talking about. A right, primer yeah. is a very basic yep. surface level mm-hmm. exactly. exploration of a subject. 
So let's start with Wicca, probably, because I think that's where most people have their introduction to paganism. Probably. I know that when I started, that was where I got my introduction yeah. was through Wicca. And I think, yeah, I, th- I think a lot of people start in Wicca mm-hmm. and, and then branch and out bran- and move out from there mm-hmm. into other practices or traditions. I think often that is true. I know that what, from what I learned back 20 some odd years ago, obviously Wicca was really formed as a modern religion yes. by Gerald Gardner. He was the one who created those concepts with Doreen Valiente mm-hmm. kind of coalescing ideas and tenets and forming rituals and mm-hmm. things like that and created what he called Wicca. Right. Even though Wicca has kind of become a big umbrella term for a bunch yeah, of so, different traditions. So, so there are there are various traditions inside Wicca. Some of them are initiatory and lineage. Mm-hmm. And most of those are the British traditional Wicca. Right. I was just going to um, bring that up because that is what Gardner's original traditional Wicca, mm-hmm. which started this whole thing, it is now really termed under British traditional along that, with Alexandrian. Right. That includes the Gardnerians, the mm-hmm. Alexandrians, the Chthoni Alexandrians, mm-hmm. which are slightly different in that they... My understanding of the main difference between the Alexandrians and the Chthoni Alexandrians mm-hmm. is that the Chthoni Alexandrians allow same-sex initiations. Mm-hmm. And the traditional Alexandrians require cross-sex initiations. Ah, gotcha. And I do know that... Uh, and then there's also Blue Star and Central Valley are yeah. also... So so all the, the lineage traditions that derive out of the New Forest area mm-hmm. and are considered British tradition. Exactly. And they're mostly initiatory lineage. Yes, they are, I, th- I think, all initiatory Exclusively, lineage yeah. traditions. You, if, yes. you can't just be a solitary and say, I'm going to be an Alexandrian yep. or I'm going to be a Gardnerian. You have to be initiated. You have to be initiated. Yep. It is, that's part of the whole process. Um, and they are heteronormative. Many of them. I shouldn't say speaking, all, yes. but generally, generally speaking, speaking, they're pretty much heteronormative mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah. There's Although been there some could discussion, be some changes. There's been some discussion, as I understand it, in the various lineages, in the leadership about, and in individual covens, there, yeah. there might be more openness, but yeah. generally speaking, yeah, the initiatory lineage traditions are pretty heteronormative. Yeah. And there's no core authority figure within British tradition. No. Or within Wicca, which is why I think it, Wicca itself has become kind of an umbrella term. Yeah. And so many lineages and traditions and, well, and, and groups outs- have branched off. And outside of the initiatory lineage traditions, you also have eclectic Wicca, mm-hmm. which is where you find the self-initiates. Yep. And solitaries. A lot of solitaries. That's um, where I started, was in eclectic Wicca. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then you have things like the Georgian Wiccan, mm-hmm. which is a lineage, but it doesn't come out of New Forest area, so it's not a British traditional lineage Mm -hmm. and you have like the Dianic Wiccans who have like a more it's more feminist it's it's, well so the big difference between yeah the big difference between the Dianic Wiccans Mm -hmm. and the traditional Wiccans I guess is that Dianic Wiccans usually only worship a goddess whereas they're monotheistic whereas traditional Wicca worships a god and a goddess Mm -hmm. they worship both although Dianic Wicca is not necessarily initiatory or lineage like you can be a self-initiated solitary Dianic Wiccan. It yeah. does have more rules. More structure. More structure, yeah, yeah. I guess, yeah. Than, than the other eclectic mm-hmm. Wicca styles. Yeah, and there are actually some eclectic covens mm-hmm. that's not strictly a solitary practice. No, yeah, there are eclectic There are Wicca eclectic covens, Wicca sure. covens, and basically what they do is they ma- they've made a syncretic 
practice. They take what works for them from various things, and they can mm-hmm. borrow from multiple, oh, from a wide range, multiple pantheons yep. and folk traditions and things like that. And very mix and match. And very mix and match. Oh, and I think we should say too that the British traditional they have things that are written, but they also have secret yes uh, so beliefs most, and, and things. Yeah, that, most of the the initiatory lineage traditions, not just the British traditionals, yeah, but also but, the Georgians, yeah, are oath bound. Yes. Which means that they have mysteries and secrets that you only learn after you've been initiated into usually like one or two levels and they have into levels, yeah. initiation mm-hmm. and which you are forbidden to reveal to outsiders under any circumstances. And if you do, you will be like expelled from the coven. Yeah. Well, Squeaky said, I can't speak for anyone else, but the organized aspect of Wicca such as it is, was pretty comforting to me to enter into, partly because I came from a Christian mm-hmm. background, but also because I can get overwhelmed when there are too many choices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and now that Squeaky says, when I started, I read everything, looking for rules I needed to follow. Yeah, yeah. I think that's why Wicca initially it's appealed to me. Also, it appealed to me. I was an eclectic mm-hmm. Wiccan but when you I did started. Focus on but I goddess. did focus on goddess. Yes, I would have probably considered myself unofficially. Yeah, Dianic. you weren't officially Dianic. I don't think, but, but you, I had that. You had definitely that leaning. That yeah. leaning. Right. Yeah. To be clear, the Dianic tradition was started by Z Budapest. Mm-hmm. Although so there's some mess there, but there's also uh, there's also the McFarland Dianic Wiccans who are much less militantly goddess-centric. Yeah, and in fact, I believe McFarland's belief system just basically was allow the high priestess to make the decision for her to own To make coven. the individual decision yep, to make the indiv- coven, yeah. So she gave more autonomy yep. to those practices. Yeah, the McFarland with, yeah. Diana Quicka is, is much... It's more inclusive. Yeah, it's more inclusive. Um, It's still feminine focused. Sometimes those covens allow men to be involved. Sometimes they also honor a god. They Mm -hmm. just focus on the goddess. As opposed to the Budapest Dianic Wiccans Mm -hmm. who focus exclusively on the goddess. And then I think we also need to include the reclaiming tradition under there because it they did, I believe, at least in the beginning, consider themselves under that umbrella of Wicca, even though it wasn't although, specifically although Wiccan. Although now I would say reclaiming is very distinct from Wicca. Yes, Wicca, yeah. Wicca and reclaiming are very distinct. But I think when it began back in the day. So there are a couple of things about Wicca that are common to all mm-hmm. these traditions, mm-hmm. or most of these traditions. Like I said, the dynamics yeah, and there are very so similar. They're typically duotheistic with a god and a goddess. Mm-hmm. They might pull those gods and goddesses from other pantheons. Those might be mixed pantheons, so they might pull, like, Artemis and Thor, Mm -hmm. right? And sometimes, rather than having specific deities, they just refer to a general Mm -hmm. great goddess and great god. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, specifically, the horned god and the moon goddess or the triple goddess. Right. In Wicca is where you usually find those sort of archetypal gods and goddesses. There is one divine being, and then these gods and goddesses from the various pantheons are different aspects of that being. That's how soft, I interpreted right. it. Right. Soft polytheism is very common in Wicca. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I interpreted it back then. Yeah. So the Wiccan read mm-hmm. is common to almost all Wiccan traditions. That is the Anat Harm None Do What You Will. Right. That's the short form. There's yeah. a longer form that almost no one actually uses. <laughs> they probably read it in yeah, during rituals, rituals and, and things stuff. Like yeah. That. But for the most part, people just know it as Anat Harm None Do What You right. Will, which is very similar to Crowley's Mm-hmm. Uh, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law, yep. which is from Thelema. Wicca also, I think, is where the threefold law 
Mm-hmm. Concept Law originates. Of return kind yeah. of thing, yeah. Which is basically a golden rule, but for witches. It is. It's kind of a karma. It's kind of a mixture of karma it's a, and law it's a, and It's a mixture of rule. not understanding karma and yeah. the golden rule. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But we're not going to get into that debate or discussion because that's a big old debate or yeah. discussion. But that is a common tenant yeah. of it's Wicca. The, the threefold law, which is the concept that everything you do returns to you three times. Right. right? So mm-hmm. if you do harm, you get three three times as much harm back. If you do good, you get three times as much good back. Right. I don't know how the thermodynamics work out on that one, but <laughs> those are the basic ethical tenets of Wicca. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's very straightforward. And it's very, and, and you, you know, right. you make your own decisions uh, and, and you can sort of boil it down to don't be an asshole. <laughs> yeah. Right. Which is kind of our rule, like in uh, our Facebook page life, and everything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then there are some standard elements to Wicca. They usually, worship or do rituals on the Sabbaths and the Esbats. Mm-hmm. So the Sabbaths are the solar festivals mm-hmm. through the wheel of the year. Right. And the Esbats are lunar festivals, right. which follow the moon cycles. And I think they were heavily uh, influenced by both Robert Graves yes. and the Celtic, Ish. Celtic-ish calendar he yeah. created. Yes, Robert Graves' <laughs> fake tree calendar. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> Wiccans have, like, not a really secure idea of what the afterlife looks like. Like, there's not, like, a standard belief in the afterlife for Wiccans, except the Summerlands. Yeah, which it is, kind of depends on who you're talking to, I think. Yeah, and, and the Summerlands is actually a concept that was borrowed from Theosophy, mm-hmm. which is Madame Blavatsky whole deal, and I, we do not have time to do uh, not have time. That. But if do some research into Madame Blavatsky, she and was philosophy. She was interesting. Um, if you're interested in that, because that's actually where the Summerlands concept comes from. It was mm-hmm. sort of adopted by Wicca. Mm-hmm. Circle casting, yep, is something that almost all Wiccans do. Yeah, it's part of their ritual to create their ritual mm-hmm. space. Pentacle is commonly accepted as the symbol for Wicca. Mm-hmm. It's power symbol. Yep, power and protection. And correspondingly, they're very into the five classical elements: so mm-hmm. earth, air, fire, water, and spirit. And spirit or ether. The Great Rite is a Wicca concept, yes. which is a, basically a sex magic. It is. They're. Bi- I, I can't speak for all Wiccans, uh-huh. but Gerald Gardner was very was into, very into the nudity. Great Rite. And very into sex yeah, magic. So Skyclad, which is why it's a big part of Wicca, at least British traditional. So Skyclad <laughs> and the Great Rite come from Wicca. If you see them anywhere yeah. else, they've been borrowed from Wicca. Yep. But they came from Gardner. But they came, they from, came Gardner from Gardner originally. He, yes. he start he was a nudist. That yeah. was his yeah. thing. So, so so yeah, Skyclad is definitely performing became part of their of their religion. So Skyclad is performing rituals while nude. And the theory is that so there are two theories for Skyclad. Mm-hmm. Well there are three theories for Skyclad. One theory is just that Gerald Gardner was a nudist and they like seeing nude people. Hmm. Another theory is that clothing somehow interferes with magic. I think that's bullshit personally. I think that's just a justification. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But the third justification for doing skyclad ritual is that by removing your clothes and all your ornaments and adornments, Mm -hmm. you reduce the, like, you remove any distinguishing social markers between you. Yeah. So, like, if there is a person in the coven who's of a much higher social class than the person Mm -hmm. across from them, you can't fucking tell because you're all the same underneath. Exactly. Could you just all put on a robe? You could. You could. You could do that. But I also want... And that would serve exactly the 
same, same purpose. purpose. Yeah, but I also yeah. want to reiterate that it is completely optional. Mm-hmm. It is not nobody is forced to go class. Well, as far as I know, and depends on the coven. coven and I yeah. have yeah, and I have never and been part yeah. of British traditional or coven. Yeah. So yeah. I'm not sure, but I I would say hopefully, hopefully nobody is forced. If it's part of your coven. That's you have to figure that out for yeah, yourself. Presumably, they would know, right? <laughs> but that's something to look into before yeah. you start trying to get right. initiated and then, into yeah. exactly. to find out if that's going to be a requirement or if that's going to be exactly if we're going to be comfortable with that. Exactly, because and the great right, of course, is sex magic. Mm-hmm. So it's and it's very heteronormative in its original conception. Yes. Although there have been efforts made to conceive of a great rite which is more gender neutral. Mm-hmm. Right. right. And I believe in public ritual, the great rite is saved for private ritual generally, public, speaking. Generally, generally speaking. Generally speaking. But in public ritual, generally it's it is the the going the into the chalice. Yep. That is the symbolic, symbolic. of yep. the great rite. Yep. So it's symbolic sex. Yes, which is the union between the the goddess and the god. Yeah, basically. And then the Book of Shadows also comes from yes. Wicca. That's yeah. again Gerald Gardner's contribution. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> and Gerald Gardner specifically, according to Leland at least, expressed to to his coven that the idea of the Book of Shadows was here's my Book of Shadows for you to copy to get a start on. Uh-huh. It is a personal cookbook of shit that has worked for me. You should delete the shit that does not work for you and add the stuff that does. So that's where the Book of Shadows concept comes from yeah. originally. And of course, I think it was right, it, from it, the idea of the obviously, grimoire. Obviously, yes, which it calls from, from more traditional grimoires. But mm-hmm. those were His, academic formulae, right? Yeah, yeah. And Gardner's concept of the like, personal, personal spell book yeah. is what we now build the Book of Shadows concept. When you actually look at it and you sort of break down the concepts, mm-hmm. other pagan traditions borrow a lot from Wicca. Oh, sometimes, yeah. And unfortunately, sometimes they borrow a lot from Wicca without really looking at it's what, what purpose it serves mm-hmm. in Wicca. Right. Or where it came from. Mm-hmm. And why it's being done that way. Well, and I, I I don't remember if we've had this discussion, but I know I've had uh, this we discussion. Think, I think we with, talked about with Jason Mankey. In that a lot of times people are doing things. Nobody knows what the origin mm-hmm. is. They just do it because everybody's doing it. And it... Because it's, you know, it's tradition. Because it's tradition. People need to know what the history is yeah. behind the traditions, behind the rituals, mm-hmm. and the things that they do. Otherwise, all you're doing is parroting. Right, and, and that and takes a actual, lot of the power out of it. And it takes the power out, but it also takes the understanding of what you're doing yeah. out. What if the greatest tabletop hero you've ever played turns out to be yourself? Invector, Attack of the Meta Pirates, move beyond imagination as Captain Vector and his Meta Pirates do battle from game world to world, following players from setting to setting in an attempt to enter the real world. Will you help Captain Vector in his Pinocchio-like quest to enter the real world, or stop him from being a living nightmare? Only you can decide. Look up Vector, Attack of the Metapirates, on Facebook. I will absolutely not stop Mr. Vector from being a living nightmare. Captain, I'm kind of Captain, interested Captain, in what yes. Captain... I want Captain Vector to become Captain a living Vector. nightmare. I support, I support the good captains, whatever his plan is. I would are. actually <laughs> like to do it. I'd like to see both and see how See, it, see diverging see paths. See diverging paths. <laughs> yep. The, the multiverse. The multiverse! <laughs> That's what's brilliant about this game is you can create uh-huh. multiple outcomes. Yes. 
the right. add-on to games. Yes. Yeah. Which is so interesting. It's it such is. a good it concept. Is. I'm so into that. So do you want to tell us about Drew Dream? So here's my issue. <laughs> oh, oh, boy. That's oh, a good start. That's not a good way right. to start. All right. Yes, I will tell you about Druidry. Primer. But I am not, I have not renewed my membership in the ADF. Okay. Oh, you haven't? Okay. And I do not know that I will. I have about another month and a half to two months to make that decision. Okay. Um, you gonna tell us why? Well, there's a lot of stuff going stuff on going within on. the ADF. A lot of drama. And, yep, a lot of drama. The stuff I've seen throughout my entire Time uh-huh. being in the ADF, pretty much. Mm-hmm. But ADF is not the only avenue into Druidry, is that correct? No, that's true. There are other avenues, and I've explored a bunch of those, and none of them really connect. Mm-hmm. So at this point, I don't know what I'm going to be doing beyond this. So call me an eclectic pagan. I don't... An eclectic pagan with a Celtic bent? Yes, with a Celtic <laughs> bent, because I don't know where this leads after this. Okay. But, um, so there's just too much going on. What in the leadership. Theme. Right, yep, in the leadership of the ADF and and what Sunshine I've, says hedge druid. Yeah. <laughs> hedge druid. What, yeah, what I've seen and what I've not seen. Mm. Uh, so it's a two-fold process for me. Yeah. There's stuff I think mm-hmm. I should have seen and haven't and there's stuff I think I sh- uh, should, should not, not have, have seen. seen and have. Gotcha. So, oh. so so from that perspective, being disenfranchised with the current druidry offerings. Right, yes. Here is your primer <laughs> on druidry. You could be a solitary druid, though, probably, yeah. right? Is well, it- yeah, I mean, I was a solitary within the ADF, even, right. but I'm just not sure, like, there's no organized group to be a part of. Mm-hmm. And you you do sort of crave an organized group. I do explicitly crave yeah. an organized group. Mm-hmm. I explicitly crave an organized group that I can actually get together with, so the solitary yeah. part of it's been very yeah, difficult not, for me not as well. For you. It's really difficult for me to try to do something by myself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really difficult for me to try to do something with a group of five or six. Right, you need a larger group. I need a larger group. And you need a structured mm-hmm. system. Yep. Exactly. Okay. So let's So let's anyway, so it. basically uh the ADF and a lot of these Oban. neo-pagan druid groups grew out of Wicca. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. a lot of these people had been involved in Wicca, mm-hmm. and then they just kind of like were like, "Oh, this is a I want more Celtic." Yeah, I want. Well, not even the more Celticy, but more something. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it, at least with the ADF, it's not strictly Celtic, right? It, and it actually, one of religions. one of their split offs mm-hmm. was a group that was called Hedge of Keltra, mm-hmm. which was a Celtic only mm-hmm. uh, group, and now they're gone. They don't right. exist anymore, but. Um, they actually finished up, I think, in 2018. It's been a couple of split-offs from that. Right. ADF mm-hmm. is you can be just about anything you want, and you can still be a part of ADF. As long as you mm-hmm. follow this rituals. Right. right here. Yep. Uh, in public. Right. Okay. You know, only for public writ. You know, Wicca is by far probably the the vast majority of neo-pagans Certainly out there. Certainly the most visible. You know, yeah. probably a hundred thousand to two hundred fifty thousand yeah. adherents. Yeah. Whereas, like some of these, uh, some of the smaller ones are like maybe a thousand confirmed. Right. To right. Druidry did come out of that. Isaac Bonowitz who started the ADF, who I guess they're not talking about anymore, but I don't care, came out of Wicca, actually got involved in a very early, pre, like, Druidry, just kind of starting it. It started at a college Mm -hmm. um, in Wisconsin, Carleton College. Mm -hmm. And basically, Carleton was like, hey, they force us to go to these services, Ah. Christian services, and we don't want to go to those so let's start our own group and we can make up our own gods and we can do whatever uh-huh. we want. And it was kind of a joke right. to get out of it having to go to chapel. It was monster. Right, yep. And then some of it kind of took off a little bit. 
And Isaac found out about it out in Cali, and so mm-hmm. he joined up with it, and then he wanted more... Religion? More, more like, yeah, structure. religion, more structure to more it. Structure. And uh, that group was not interested in doing that, so Isaac went, okay, well, I'll just start this. I'll just mm-hmm. pick up the stuff gotcha. I've taken out right, exactly. and transplanted. Exactly. I got yep. you. Well, it, so, part of the problem with Druidry is that people don't really know what the Druids did. Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of it's definitely that is that in terms of reconstruction, yeah, right, yeah, can't truly reconstruct it. Basically, just making up stuff as we go. Yeah. So I would say we would be neo druids, if anything, Mm -hmm. because we're making it up as we go. I mean, there's a little bit of stuff out there that you can kind of cherry pick out of some of the some of the Roman texts. Mm -hmm. I think you can probably take some of the stuff that Ilo Morinwig did and go. Mm, this might be somewhat kind of sort of maybe correct. If you can figure out where he got it from. Right, if you can figure out where he got it from. And and quite honestly, like, that's far enough ago. Like, if you want to make that what you Your believe, baseline. Then fine. That's, that's like, what, that's the 1700s, that's about 300 yeah, years old. Right, yep. Yeah. And so the majority of what we have in Druidry today is kind of a pickup of what got started in the 1800s. Okay. And it was very Christian-based back mm-hmm. then. You know, it was kind of like, well, we'll throw this little stuff in. Just for flavor. Just for flavor <laughs> into Christianity or into our Masonic temple mm-hmm. or, you know, and a lot of what we have is just that. So there's not a ton that we could, I can tell everybody about, about Druidry because it's so, it's very a, broad. a, it's very broad, mm-hmm. B, it's very fragmented within that breadth. Right. Even in the ADF. There's a lot of fragmentation, not in core order mm-hmm. or or which is their basic rituals yeah, that basic you have to ritual do when tenets. you're doing a public ritual. Because there are so many different hearths, hearths that you can do because it's mm-hmm. anybody who is a Proto- proto-Indo-European. Uh, mm-hmm. So anybody coming at it from a pie perspective, perspective yeah. can join so you can have heathens yep. who are part of the ADF. And you can have... Celts who are part of the ADF and yeah. you can have Vedic yep. you know, who are part of the part ADF. Of the ADF. Yep. So there's a lot of fragmentation within that as well. Within Druidry. And what about uh, Obad? Do you know like are they more toward what a Druid path might be if people are interested there, in understanding There's, there's no Druid path. It's literally all made up. Sure. Um, yeah. So, so are all of these. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So is anyone more correct than the other? No. Okay, but what are the what are the sort of basic things that you could expect to find in a random druid grove? The basic stuff that you could expect to find. And just a randomly selected not from any specific group, no. but just like what are right. what are the basic commonalities between druid groups? Spirit is everywhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So pantheism so pantheism or animism? Animism. Okay. Goddess and gods, so polytheism, mm-hmm. nature worship. Sadly, in my opinion, cautious technophobia, yeah. So, like, they just don't really like technology and Western science. And I would prefer to... I I do all of my tarot readings and all of my own readings on my phone. Mm -hmm. That would be probably frowned upon by most (laughs) Druids. Religious freedom. So there's no real doctrine. Right, no doctrine. There's no authoritarian leadership. There's no would-be messiah or super guru or Mm -hmm. anything like that. Everybody can move up within. Positive ethics. So ethics and morality, joy, love, self-esteem, mutual respect, avoidance of harm of others, all that kind of stuff. Right. Uh, Religious tolerance. Whatever way you want to go is fine. Right. Like Um, the ADF. Right. Multiple parts. Yep, exactly. And like somebody who's a Wiccan can join ADF. Mm -hmm. Right. 
It doesn't make them a druid. It just makes them a Wiccan, a Wiccan who's a part of the ABA. Right, right, yep. The good life. So believing that human beings were meant to have great lives mm-hmm. filled with uh, joy, love, pleasure, beauty, and humor, including, you know, food, drink, <laughs> music, sex, so, all of that kind so of stuff. So a certain amount of hedonism. Yep. <laughs> um, some magic and mystery. Uh-huh. Liturgical art and science. You know, we've seen some of that liturgy in, like, how they build their core order. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of, like, poetry, like, religious poetry mm-hmm. that Jones will create yep. and stuff mm-hmm. like that. What about the land, sea, and sky? Isn't that a, something that you told me was part yep. of Druidry? It is, yes. That yeah. honoring of land, sea, and sky. It is. And rather than the four elements. Rather right, than the, than four, the elements. four elements. Yep, yep. And also something about the afterlife. There was a belief that you would go become a tree. Uh, not necessarily a tree, okay. but that you are reincarnated, but you are reincarnated as something. Okay. And it could be a tree. It could be a rock. It could so be... So just something in nature. Something in nature. Yep, gotcha. exactly. Okay, gotcha. And that's why there's such worship of nature. Because... Oh, okay. It's because they're the ancestors. Those are your ancestors. Okay. Right, exactly. Community responsibility, authenticity, cooperation and defense... You know, like protecting other people who are part of the Druid right. belief system and human rights as a whole. Right. Mm-hmm. Would you say Druids as a group, and of course it's difficult to say about anything about right, Druids as, as a group, group, but um, would you say they are more progressive or more conservative? So the ones I know personally, mm-hmm. I would say are way more progressive. Uh-huh. In some of the writings I've seen, I would say more conservative than I would be. Right. Mm-hmm. But not like... A super conservative. Not like really conservative. Right, exactly. But just like centrist, maybe. Correct, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm probably not even centrist anymore. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, I'd you're, like to say I am. You're veering increasingly not. left, yeah. Mm-hmm. You're joining me over here on the far left. <laughs> joining us. Yeah. <laughs> it's an interesting place for me to be and to talk about something that I'm not sure where you're, you're not sure it continues to fit you. Right, exactly. So there are not, like, standard, aside from the ADF, which has a core ritual that you don't even have to do unless you're doing public ritual. Correct. There's not, like, a standard look for a druid ritual? No. Because, like, that's what we were talking about with Wicca. Is right. Like, you know, there's a lot there's of... some standard... Some standard things. Like, if right. I go to a, a Wiccan... You can reliably expect yeah, a certain a number Wiccan of Wiccan ritual. Things. You can... I've someone will much, cast a circle. Someone will call the elements. The, yeah, the quarters. They'll do the chalice, the chalice and the Athame thing. thing. You know? Right. So, there are certain elements of ritual that anytime I go to a Wiccan ritual... I can expect. I can expect, regardless of the group. Yeah. I've yeah, noticed you're not there's, get there are similarities... Really. Aside from public ADF rituals. Yeah, correct. And you yes. have a very reliable core order. Correct, yes. Now, of course, I'm only talking about public rituals because I've never been to a private coven, coven, coven ritual, yeah. ritual. Here's the big four. Okay. Okay, there's the there's Obad. Right. Which, when you were first looking at Druid organizations, uh-huh. I thought Obad was sort of the... That's the Order of Bards and Druids? Oh, yes. Order of Bards, Ovates, Ovates and, and Druids. Druids. Okay. Yep. Which I thought of as kind of the artsy one. Mm-hmm. So they were founded in 1964. Okay. There's the Reformed Druids of North America, okay. RDNA, uh, which was formed in 1963. Okay. There's ADF, which right. was formed in 1983. Okay. And the Reformed Druids of Gaia, which is an offshoot of RDNA, which was founded in 2006. Okay. So okay. those are the big ones, right? Only one of them is truly an initiatory order. Which one's that? Obad. Okay. Okay. Two of them have no church. Okay. So that would be our DNA and Reformed George of Gaia, or we'll call RDG Mm -hmm. for now, have no church. ADF does have, they have groves, so you get that thing. In Obad, our DNA, so in those two, you can be monotheistic, polytheistic, or pantheistic. 
Okay. Okay? Mm-hmm. In ADF, the majority of it is polytheistic. Right. Okay? Mm-hmm. In the Perform RDG, Druids of Gaia. Gaia, it's not defined. So it could be anything. Could be anything, could be right. Anything. Could be atheist. Right. For as far as their culture of worship goes? Very broad. O- o- yes. Obod's Celtic. Right. Right. Our DNA is not specified at all. Okay. ADF is Pi. So, right. mm-hmm. so you know, anything so Germanic, from... Celtic, Lithuanian, right. Polish, Greek. A wide range. Right, yep. <laughs> and RDG, uh-huh. there's none. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, these are the four major groups, and you're literally talking about, like, there's sort there's, of no commonality. Obad has no liturgy. No liturgy for our DNA. There is the standard liturgy for ADF. Reformed Druids of Gaia have none. So, same thing with rituals. The only two that have rituals are the ADF and Obad. Uh-huh. The other ones don't have any. They all do follow the wheel of the year, except for Obad, which follows the eightfold cycle, which is slightly different than the wheel of the year. Huh. I mean, it's just absolutely crazy to me. Obad is by far the largest. There's about 17,000 mm-hmm. uh, members in Obad. About half of those are in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Our DNA is about 4,500. ADF is probably 2,000-ish. Mm-hmm. And then Reformed Druids of Gaia is like 1,400. Okay, I guess I'm just establishing like unlike say Wicca, right? There's just not really like a these are Druid principles, correct? That there's not, would a, be there's not common, a, a common structure, a common structure groups. that would say I am a Druid and because I believe these things, right. correct? And okay. we, I have in the past thought of Druids as being mostly Celtic, but it seems that that is not really the case, right? Yep. Okay. Yeah, I same. I yeah. thought of Druidry as more of a Celtic specific. Yeah kind of reconstructive yeah, path. Yeah, but that does not seem to be the case. No, and is that maybe why it's kind of lost its luster? I don't know if that's why it's lost its luster for me. I just don't know where I fit in it mm-hmm. or where it fits in me. Right. What, which is, yeah. a, I which mean, is important, yeah. yeah. Yep. This is what happens to people. You can right. it's happened to me as well. You this can go the from process. one right. thing to another and it's perfectly you don't have okay. To, you don't have to pick one and then you're like Stuck. <laughs> Chained to it forever. Right. That's right. Exactly. It's like, okay, this no longer serves me. What do I need to do? Right. What would be direct, better for me? What would be right. better for me? Yeah. Yep. And so for you right now, releasing yourself from the chain of Druidry. A, yep. The chain of Druidry or the chain of ADF Druidry. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm very much a tech, mm-hmm. so I love technology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also am very much an urban person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you need to find the tech. So groups. I need yeah. to find like an urban tech druid group. <laughs> yeah. Which and, may be uh, on the internet. Urban tech druid. Yeah. Hit up car. He needs, you're, you're out there. If you're out there. You know, my worship of trees needs to be like the one that's planted at the corner uh-huh. between these two streets to make the, you know, right. city to, look to, pretty. To make it greenified. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's just who I am. Like I, because I've always lived in major cities other than, you know, here. Right. That's where you're um, comfortable. That's where I'm super comfortable. Yeah. And I think that's part of that extrovert in me is like, I need like a bunch of people on sidewalks. And <laughs> yeah. Sunshine that? says, totally feel you on the needing an organization. I just have such a hard time finding a good group that I can get along with. I have an overinflated sense of ethics. I like the UU church for the social aspect, but not worship or ritual. Even tried to tag along with some progressive Christian churches, but it's just so hard to find a real fit. Getcha. Yep. Yeah. Get that. One thing for those who might be interested in Druidry to understand right. that there's not, not necessarily structured. a structured 
cohesive identity. Yeah. Yeah. Even the more structured Druid organizations like the ADF and OBOD are very super structured. Yeah, they're very open in their definition of what is a Druid. And I think that comes from the fact, like what you mentioned earlier, there just isn't that much information available of what Druidry actually used to be. Right. What it looked like. What it looked like. And so that makes it hard. Yeah. But again, Wicca was one guy who just started stuff. Right. And it just really took off. It right. took off. Yeah. I'm I'm sure even he couldn't have imagined how big Wicked no. would eventually become. Yeah. Probably not. No. Yeah. To the no. point that his own has has yes, has is in decline. Has well, it has been called it's now British traditional uh-huh. and, there's and there's many, many other kinds yes. of Wicca. <laughs> it's time for reviews. My voice cracked again. <laughs> Just Apparently, I've gone through just a little bit of puberty issues. It'll all be fine once it finally calms down. All right. We are reviewing another game. Yep. This time we are reviewing uh, Wildcraft, an herbal adventure game by Learning Herbs. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's not good. Boring. Friends, boring. I, yeah. The most boring game I've ever played. Boring. I hate to say it. Not get, informative. Get, get learn shit. Taught me nothing. Yeah. Okay, let's start from the beginning. This, this, <laughs> game, no this. this, this game is shoots and ladders with plants. It is. It is shoots and ladders. It's intended for ages four and up. It is unfortunately not as entertaining as I or informative as no. I hoped it would so be. So here's the thing. This wouldn't hold the attention of four year olds. No, no. It wouldn't cool. it definitely wouldn't have hold held your attention. No. And it's not gonna get any better as they get older. Yeah, <laughs> and, and yeah. it's it's really too bad. It really is just spin the dial yeah, move, move your, your piece. piece and get a card. Yeah, right. and identify. You know, and the and you don't even identify you... the plant. It, right. The plant. The, so you get the plant card. It's got a pretty nice illustration Very of the nice plant illustration. on it, and the name and the Latin name. But there's no other information about the the plant no. at all. And then later you land on a trouble spot, so you pick up a trouble card, and it's like, ooh, you've got a headache. Find the plant that cures the headache. But all you're doing is is picture, matching picture. the pictures. Mm-hmm. So it'll say like these. Five icons could cure a headache, and then you have to find in your mm. plant cards if you have that icon on your plant card. And the herbalist over there is going, yeah, but is is it the flower part? Is it the leaf part? Is it the root part? Can you use the whole plant? What the fuck can I do with this? Well, I'm sitting here like, I don't fucking care. Yeah. I was hearkening back as I was thinking of this game, because this is similar to an educational hypothetically, game. Hypothetically. Hypothetically. I guess I should say, I was hoping it would yeah. be similar to a, a game that, I, that we used to play with our kids when we homeschooled back when they were six and eight. Yeah. And it was, it was called Masterpiece. It was and an it was about game. art history. And it was brilliant. You, and it was for the same age range. Yeah. <laughs> you had money and you were supposed to be trying to gather pieces of art from various masters to complete collections mm-hmm. for your gallery or your museum. And you had to buy and, and you had sell. to learn to recognize and, and so you you could see the, the, the portrait, piece the but picture. you couldn't see so on the back would be the information of like who made it and when it was made and, and what it represented. What, what, yeah. And all the details about the art. So you would have to complete these collections and you would get like a random card that told you what kind of collection you needed to complete. And you would have to learn about the art so that you could complete your collection just from looking at the pictures. And also, I always bought magnolias and wouldn't let anyone else have it to finish their collection because it was my favorite one. Eventually, Ode stole that card. I stole out that of the card, game. yes. So, and I would like to point out that Ode 
has not seen that game nope. since they were probably in like their early teens. Yeah. But still remembers how to play it. It was a great game. Because they loved it and Jackson loved it and we as a family enjoyed I would still playing play it. that game. Yeah, it was a fun game and it was a it was an educational game, which yeah. is the reason why I bought it was to help them understand art history yeah. and to learn about the great masters and the great paintings and that's what I was hoping that this game would be, and unfortunately, it was just a botanical version of Shoots and Ladders. That's really all it was. So I feel like, even though it was a great idea, unfortunately, Learning Herbs, who is a great organization, and proceeds from, you know, purchases of this game go to a very important organization called UnitedPlantSavers.org, and they're intending to try to create an interest in wildcrafting and learning about plants and things like that, but this game just does not manage to do that. Thing on the back says, a portion of game proceeds benefit United Plant Savers, whose mission is to protect and ensure renewable supplies of medicinal plants. Yep. I don't know how much this fucking game costs, but instead just donate the whole cost of this game to United, United Plant United Savers plants. and save yourself the trouble. Yeah, it, it it's unfortunate, and uh, we didn't even finish. No, we, we got like half an hour into it. We, we realized you're supposed to go up the board to yeah. the Huckleberry Patch and sit there for two turns and, and then, then go take back. us back to Grand mother's house we got about halfway to the huckleberry patch and we're like wait no we have to go backwards again never mind we're done yeah i mean we were all bored it was boring it was so dull you know and so and i know i used to be a preschool teacher i taught four-year-olds i homeschooled my kids for a time none of my children would have been interested in this game they would have taken the cards and played with the cards just looked at the cards they would have just looked at the cards and maybe i think there were some duplicates that you could play match i would probably take the cards and And play match and play match yeah. with the cards. That would be more productive. And it would be a more productive game. Yeah. Because unfortunately it gives The illustrations n- are on the cards yeah. are nice. The illustrations the, are beautiful but no other information about the plant is given. Yeah. It's but that's just, the only the only nice thing about okay. the yeah. game. Instead, so on, play Masterpiece. Yeah. On a scale of one to five on what is it called? A wild craft wild, on an wild craft. adventure game. I give it zero stars. I'd give it a 1.5 because I did like the cards. And I, you could use the cards for something else. I'd give it a zero because I fucking hated it from the time we moved Set the it first up. piece. Yeah. Again, just donate the money to that organization. Yeah, to, and get yourself some good books or some good flashcards on, on herbals. You know. Well, here's ah, the deal. Get Crafter's Tarot. You get more information about the herbs through here's that. Here's the deal. If you want to buy Masterpiece, the yes. classic art auction game we've been <laughs> talking about, it is actually available on Amazon, but holy crap is it expensive. Yeah, it's, it's old. old. It's an yeah. old game. So the 1996 edition, which is the edition that we, have, that we had currently, is on sale for $139, and there's only one of them left in stock. Yeah. It kills me we don't have this game I anymore. know, I know. If Well, if you'd have stopped stealing the pieces. <laughs> well, <laughs> listen, Magnolia's is a very good, and we didn't have the internet yet, so I couldn't just print out my own copy. <laughs> oh my gosh, it really was. And it is a shame that, that this game, yeah. that Ugh. Wildcraft does not meet up to the same standard as Masterpiece because it really was a Masterpiece Zero of stars. a game. It Zero stars on Wildcraft. I'll give it a 1.5 for the Six for the stars art. Out on Masterpiece. On the cards <laughs> that you can use to play match. But that's about it. Ugh, oh right. my goodness. Okay. Well, I didn't, so, like, didn't like that. Game. I know. I know. I didn't like that. And I was really <laughs> excited about it because of the herbalism aspect. Uh-huh. But Harrison, very wolf, disappointing. That poor game. Yeah, well, <laughs> I think that was in regard to Masterpiece, but not sure. Maybe it was in regard to this very, very sad yeah. that we gave zero stars. Well, I gave 1.5. 
And he gave zero and I gave zero, so it's a point five stars max. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's it for reviews. Out of puberty now. Yes. <laughs> anyway, moving on from the sadness. Alright, well since we're here and, and we're still like everybody's uh out of yeah. Meet our friend at the Art Filet. Art Tiger Michelle invites you to her shop where she showcases her painted and carved sugar skull eggshells for the world to enjoy. Each piece is handcrafted and unique with a name and a style all its own and a desire to find a happy home with you. Every egg comes with a special box adorned with a note about the creation. Michelle has been sculpting her design since 2015 and knows that you, your family, and your friends will love it. She also makes natural eggs, beautiful painted rockery, and jewelry to share. As well as the sugar skull eggs, Michelle has designed an acorn egg, which just happens to be the most popular egg she makes, adorned with lentils and wood beads and hemp and or leather hangings. Visit the Artful Egg at theartfulegg.net. And she sent us one. And they're not as fragile as you think they are. No, they're not. No. And they're so beautiful. I absolutely yeah, love it. Yep. Love it. Yep. Agreed. Yep. Mm-hmm. It hangs on our shelf. It does. It right. doesn't hang on our shelf. It has well, uh, it a hangs, tongue. It hangs on a little hanger. A little hanger. Oh, a hanger. hanger is sitting, sitting on the shelf. Sitting on the shelf, yeah. yes. <laughs> That's right. Okay, I a just wanted ornament. to make sure we little ornament got hanger. that incomplete. Yeah. Yes, okay. <laughs> I've got a couple more. Mine, obviously, I'm going to talk about Heathen Rain, but yeah. I thought I'd also talk about Hellenismos, because I yeah. think it's fairly um, popular. Yes, it is. And I think... <laughs> That it's popular to use the Greek gods even if you're not a Hellenic pagan. Oh, God, yeah, that started with Wicca. Again, (laughs) everything kind of goes back to Wicca. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, Hellenismos actually is not derived from Wicca. No. It's a reconstructive, mostly. Some some Hellenismos. Reimagining for some. Some Hellenismos is revivalist and some of it is reconstructionist. Mm -hmm. But it's the worship of the ancient Greek pantheon. It's primarily devotional or votive religion. Mm -hmm. So it's focused around making offerings to the gods and establishing, like, good relationship with the gods. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So because the Greeks actually wrote a lot, Mm -hmm. there are some whole ethical systems you can just have. And use. If you're, if, yeah, and just apply if you practice Hellenismos. So, uh, the common ones are Aristotle's Ethics, mm-hmm. the Delphic Maxims, and the Golden Verses of Pythagoras. All three of those are three separate, whole, complete ethical systems. So, like, not just, like, Wicca, which has, like, one mm-hmm. or two rules, but, like, the Delphic Maxims are, like, 196 rules yeah, for life. Like, if you are a person who needs structure, who craves yeah. structure... Hellenismos could might... give you really strong structure. Exactly. There are some key concepts in Hellenismos, aside from just worshipping the Greek gods, that are important to making it Hellenismos mm-hmm. instead of just, like, Hellenic Wicca or right. something like that. Mm-hmm. Those concepts are miasma which is ritual impurity. That is not sin. So, like, it doesn't correspond to that. It's not, like, a an inherent badness. Right. It's just sort of the... It's the spiritual equivalent of, like, getting dirty just by going through your day. Yeah. And needing to take a shower. It's part of the reason why I bathe before I yes. do ritual for Hakati. Yeah. So miasma is normal. There's nothing, like bad or no. or inherently negative about you if you have miasma. Yep. Everyone has miasma. That's the nature of the thing. It's just that miasma is inappropriate to bring before the gods. Mm-hmm. So when you're going to do a ritual, you need to cleanse yourself of miasma so that you are ritually clean mm-hmm. uh, the same way that you get physically clean when you go to meet someone important. Right. There's also the concept of xenia, which is reciprocity with the gods and with other people 
in your life. And I suspect that Xenia is one of those concepts that it's difficult to break down into English the same way that Frith is sort of difficult to break down into English from heathenry. Mm-hmm. So it's I'm not sure how well I'm understanding Xenia. Reciprocity is how it's been like translated, and mm-hmm. I'm not sure how accurate that is, but it seems to be a matter of trying to maintain like a good will balance between you and the gods, mm-hmm. because most practitioners of Hellenismos don't do magic. Right. They do rituals and prayers. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think we have someone in the group, a follower of Hellenismos. Yeah. In Hellenismos, magic is not really a thing that mm-hmm. is part of daily life. At least in traditional Hellenismos, right. you will do rituals to the gods, prayers. making offerings, and you will do prayers to the gods. And the gods might intercede on your behalf, but mm-hmm. that's not the same thing as magic. It's part of establishing good xenia, having a good reciprocal relationship with your gods, mm-hmm. having a good devotional relationship with your gods. Mm-hmm. The other main concept from Hellenismos is Eusebia, which is, again, another one that I think doesn't translate very well, but it's piety. And it's about focusing your life around your worship of the gods, right? It's Mm -hmm. about Hellenismos being sort of a central core of your life rather than just like an attachment to your life. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. I want to add, I don't know the name of the blog, and if I had known you were talking about this, I would have got it. But on Patheos Pagan, there is, I believe the the writer is a Hellenismos pagan. Mm -hmm. He is Greek. Okay. Uh, So... If you're if you're interested in learning more about that perspective, he writes from a Hellenistic or Hellenismos mm-hmm. perspective. You can just search on Patheos Pagan, Greek yeah. Hellenismos on Patheos Pagan, Hellenic, sh- Hellenic. Yeah. Those words, you should be able to find his blog. He's very, very, very good, very interesting. And the other thing about Hellenismos is that it doesn't have priests and priestesses so mm-hmm. much. Mm-hmm. It's usually sort of family and household oriented. Mm-hmm. And the head of the household is the person who leads the rituals. Leads rituals. Yeah, which is more or less the same way it was done in ancient Greece. Mm-hmm. Greek practices, Hellenic tradition, is reconstructing a very broad time frame. Mm-hmm. There was a, a large span of time during which there were Greek pagan practices to mm-hmm. be reconstructed, and they varied over time. Yeah. Um, and between different polices, because mm-hmm. the Greeks were actually various city-states who all did things a little differently. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think people need to know, especially if they're incorporating the Greek gods mm-hmm. into their practice, even if they're not Hellenismos or Hellenic, right. uh, is that we tend to narrow the Greek gods into very specific viewpoints. Yeah. And that's just not how it actually was. They changed and grew and, 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 over and there time were based on where they were located. Over time yeah. and, and there were like certain city states that venerated one god over the others mm-hmm. because this was their patron of mm-hmm. their city state or something. Yep. Uh, and so like that's where most of the mythology about this god comes from. It comes from this one place. Yep. And you don't know how this person was worshipped in other city states or at other right. times. But the great thing is there is a lot of There's a writing, wide body a wide, wide body, body, of, body of evidence um for, for Hellenic traditions, mm-hmm. much wider than there are for a lot of other and, traditions. And the deities based, you know, it's yeah. just, you can learn a lot about all of these deities. Yeah. Be willing to do the research. Do the research, yeah. Um, but there's, there's a lot of primary and secondary texts that apply to Hellenismos, and there's a lot of academic writing that's been done mm-hmm. on various periods of ancient Greece. So there's a lot of resources you can find. Air points out the Egyptian, Greek, Roman mishmash that happened at one point in history. That is intense. Yeah. So that's mm-hmm. another thing that happened. I'm talking right now specifically about Hellenismos, which is the ancient Greek pantheon, but there's also Kemeticism, mm-hmm. which is a reconstruction of ancient Egyptian religion. 
And there is Religio Romana, which is the reconstruction of ancient Roman. Roman religion. And Religio Romana, the Roman gods actually pulled more from the Etruscans than they did from the Greeks. The thing we think of as the Greeks having been subsumed into the Roman pantheons, it was part of a syncretizing practice that the Romans did Mm -hmm. when they absorbed territory. But the original Roman deities pulled more from early Etruscan pantheons. Mm -hmm. And then it all got mixed up. And like Serapis is a Greek god, but also an Egyptian god who was sort of created during that intermediary time. It's a whole mess. (laughs) Um, So yeah, there was a, and then you get into things like Hermes Trismegistus. Yes. Yeah. So (laughs) you have to, you sort of have to pick a time period. That's probably the most practical thing is to pick a time period to focus on and make that sort of your baseline for reconstructing, because mm-hmm. trying to reconstruct like 800 years of history and mm-hmm. three different cultural clashes is going to yeah. be a real challenge. Exactly. <laughs> and for some of these deities, we're talking, you know, thousands of years uh-huh. and lots of, of information. Yeah. So there are advantages and disadvantages to the fact that the Greek people left us so much data to work with. Right. The advantage is they left us so much data to work with. Exactly. The disadvantage is now we have to sort through all the data they left us. Exactly. Hellenismos is definitely one of those practices that requires a lot of research. Mm -hmm. It's one of the study religions. Mm -hmm. It is. And the question is, is it closed to Greeks only? No. Hellenismos is not closed to Greeks only, although there is a strong Hellenismos movement in Greece. Yeah. The Hellenismos movement actually started in Greece. Mm-hmm. And was, they're trying to reclaim yeah. their religions, yeah. basically. And, uh, and it was picked up later elsewhere mm-hmm. in Europe and in the United States. Yeah. So could somebody put together like a Rohelyptian version? That sounded really weird. <laughs> I have no Roman. idea what you just said. <laughs> Rohelyptian. Oh! Rohelyptian? Rohelyptian. a Roman Hellenic Egyptian? Yeah. Um, I'm sure somebody out there will try. Someone probably has, yes. (laughs) Been like, I'm going to reconstruct the period when all three of these people were all doing the same thing. Right. We're all talking to each other. Yeah, someone probably probably has. has. Feel free to use the name Rohelyptian if anybody (laughs) wants it. It's free to the ether. Figure out how to spell it, yeah. and then <laughs> we're both going. What? The what? I'm like, is that a tribe I've never heard of? What are we talking about? So that's the. I thought there was a little German going on in there. So that's the basis of Hellenismos, from my understanding, because yeah. I am not uh, Hellenic, Hellenic. So yeah. that's that's my understanding, just from observation. Mm-hmm. And now. Gonna talk about heathenry. Alright, uh, sitting back. I'm gonna, t- <laughs> and I'm gonna try to- I'm gonna step out of the room. <laughs> and I'm gonna try to keep my shit together. Okay, so. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> so heathenry is another one that you can have sort of two approaches to, um, reconstructionism and revivalism. And heathenry is not the same thing as like Norse Wicca, mm-hmm. which is doing Wicca but with Norse gods. That's fine, but it's not heathenry. There are a bunch of different terms inside the heathen umbrella that I'm going to now explain. So the one you're probably most familiar with is Asatru. Mm -hmm. That means true to the Aesir, and it's the most sort of commonly used heathen religion term, but it implies a worship just of the Aesir and not of any of the other classes Mm -hmm. of the gods. So it has been joined by Vanatru, which is true to the Vanir, that's 
the other tribe of the gods, and by a couple of groups that are, I'm going to call them, I'm going to just say they're a little edgy, that uh, call themselves the Rokotru, who worship the Jotnar. And the Jotnar are not traditionally worshipped by heathens. I do worship some of the Jotnar because I think it's silly not to. <laughs> Giants? The Giants, yeah. Okay. The, That's like Scotty. Yeah, Scotty is a Jotun. Hey, Lo- look at me, I knew. Yes. I recognized <laughs> it. Go me! Scotty is a Jotun who is adopted mm-hmm. into the Aesir because she marries Njord, who is a Vanir, who's also been adopted into the Aesir. And this is why I think it's silly to declare you're only going to worship one group of these gods because they were all adopting and intermarrying each other. Well, exactly. So good luck figuring out who you're supposed to be worshiping. So some other terms for this are Germanic, Norse, or Saxon paganism, mm-hmm. because the Norse are only one group of gods that the the heathens might worship. Mm. Uh, that's the most common one is is the Norse pantheon, but there's right. also the Germanic pantheons, right. which include Wotan. There's um, a little bit of overlap. There's some overlap there, definitely. And the Saxon gods, that Saxon pantheon, which again includes mm-hmm. some overlap, because mm-hmm. there was a lot of intermingling, intermingling happening here. I think that's what people tend to forget, is that there was a lot more trade and communication yeah. and interaction between these groups than people actually realize. Yeah. And a lot of migration. A lot of migration. Yeah. So that's why a lot, there's so much overlap. There's a lot of overlap between the Norse, Germanic, and mm-hmm. Anglo-Saxon pantheons. Mm-hmm. Most people pick one. Some people will, so like I mostly work Norse. with the Norse pantheon because mm-hmm. that's the one that we have sort of the best textual evidence for uh, right. and that I'm most familiar with. Um, some people will mix and match them a little bit, so like they'll take some elements of Wotan and combine them with Odin and, mm-hmm. you know, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Mm-hmm. There's also Northern Tradition, which has been claimed, uh, for lack of a better term, by Raven Caldera and sort of that group, mm-hmm. which is a more magical heathenry or mm-hmm. a more specifically shamanistic heathenry okay which a lot of other heathens don't like okay and reject okay for mostly reasons as far as i can tell of transphobia okay well fuck them <laughs> yeah so there's, i mean i'm there's all that. about the, the magical and you know yeah. that, that would be cool and then there is odinism or odalism is that the problem that's that the problem well child? that's sure a problem yes odinism is usually, but not always, mm-hmm. the racist one. Gotcha. So if you see someone describing themselves as an Odinist, there's a chance that they're just a misinformed Odin's man, but most likely they are far-right ideology at best, active racist at worst. White And that is kind of what's happened within heathenry, is that a lot of this kind of neo-Nazi, let's look, yeah. has been co-opted in, you know, they've they co-opted some of the Norse yeah. and the heathen belief system. They sure have. And, and so, it's made it very difficult for you and other heathens who are not that way. Yeah, so here's what we're going to talk about now. The folkish versus the universalists. Okay. So the folkish is the stealth framework for the white nationalists. So that is a code word you should yes. watch out for. See, folkish, I made that mistake. Yeah, no. Folkish is a dog whistle for white nationalism okay, and racism. That's good to know because I, I have made that mistake before not realizing that that's who yeah. I was And that's true in about. United States heathenry, which is okay. what I'm talking about right now. Okay. There is a heathen movement in Scandinavia and Sweden and in, in Germany in those areas. Mm-hmm. And they do not have 
quite the same problems with white nationalism that, that we, we are have. having here in the United States. So, like, there are a couple of organizations in Scandinavia that describe themselves as folkish or as folk-led or as fornsed, which mm-hmm. is um, an Icelandic term meaning the old ways. But they, but but they, they don't mean not, it that way. Exactly. They don't mean it the way that United States folkish communities mean it. So, so I mean, you need to know the difference. You need to know where the organization comes from. You should be able to tell because most of the ones in Scandinavia don't have anything written in English. Helpful. That's helpful, yeah. But so specifically, the United States heathen organizations that describe themselves as folkish, that is just a dog whistle to disguise the fact that they are racist. The specific organizations you need to watch out for are the Asatru Folk Assembly. I've heard of them. Yeah, they're bad. Bad, they're, bad. Those are very openly racist. Mm-hmm. You also need to watch out for the Asatru Alliance, which will claim not to be racist, but is very, very racist. I've heard of them, and not just from you talking about them. I've heard, I've read... Stuff yes. about them. Yeah. Uh, the Asantra Folk Assembly, I believe, is now actually on the list of the Southern Poverty Law Center's list of hate groups, which oh is where God. they belong. Yes. And there are some other organizations in heathenry, smaller ones, more explicitly violent ones, that are usually described as Odinist or will be heavily associated with Fenrir or Fenrisulfur. Mm. Those are usually the ones that are bad news that you want to stay away from and that I repudiate. Stephen McNallan, Stephen A. McNallan, is the guy who started the Asatru Folk Assembly, and he is a white nationalist activist. If you see Stephen McNallan's name, just move on. Move on. He initiated Stephen Flowers, also known as Edward Thorson, into the Asatru Folk Assembly. Edward Thorson later left the Asatru Folk Assembly and started the Troth, which is a universalist heathen organization. The Troth is not racist, and they're working on their Loki problem, so on, on their anti-Loki thing. So okay. the Troth is improving. So the Troth is not bad. The Troth is not bad. The Troth is The Troth is, is fine. Okay. Troth is... I'm not part of it, but as far as I can tell, it's on the level. Edred Thorson wrote a lot of books. They are... Iffy? Iffy, yeah, um, because he's also a Setian, so the content he produces is not explicitly heathen. It's a, it's a more eclectic mix. A lot of his stuff is sort of Wicca-derived. Again. Yeah. Isn't it all? Just pulls down, yeah. Um, <laughs> or a lot. I shouldn't say all. Not all, but, but Wicca has it filters very in. heavily it filters influenced. In. And if you don't recognize it, it can be hard to tell. Yeah. Wicca <laughs> has very heavily influenced a lot of various organizations yeah. and paths. And then for other non-racist organizations in heathenry, you've got Heathens Against Hate, which is a an online group that you can find that will list organizations that are explicitly universalist, that are explicitly non-racist. And then uh, I also recommend heathenhof.com. That's heathen, and then hof is spelled H-O-F.com. And they created Declaration 127, which is the official announcement, I guess, of um, repudiation of the the AFA, gotcha. the uh, the Asatru Folk Assembly. Gotcha. That's a reference to Havamal 127, which is about fighting enemies gotcha. when they threaten people who aren't you. <laughs> yeah. That's the lay of the land, I guess, for heathenry. I'm not part of any of these organizations. I'm I'm solitary. I do what I want, and that way, no one can tell me to stop. that's kind of why i'm a solitary yeah also i just am just not i'm I'm naturally an introvert you're not a joiner not a joiner no so here are some general concepts about heathenry like i said 
It can be Germanic, Norse, or Saxon in terms of pantheons, but there's a lot of overlap between those, so if you see one, you'll be probably familiar with it if you know another fairly well. Ancestor veneration is tends to be a priority in heathenry, followed by animism and a belief in the existence of whites and vatir and the spirits of things, like the housewites we've talked about. So not just the spirits of natural objects, but the spirits of constructed objects, like right. the house or, you know, that kind of thing. And then worship of the gods. So most heathens sort of tear their practice that way. First focus on the ancestors, then on the local whites that you'll deal with most often, mm-hmm. then with the gods who are more distant but more powerful, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There is a concept, it's sort of a new concept in heathenry called fultroi, which is when you dedicate yourself to a specific god. Mm-hmm. We don't know that this was a thing that happened very often in ye olden times, and most heathen stuff is pulling from the Viking Age, because that's when we have the most... The most information. ...evidence for. But, so, we do know that some people were priests or gothi of specific gods, Mm -hmm. and that still happens sometimes in various heathen groups and in various kindreds, which is what a group of heathens is called, Mm -hmm. a kindred or a hearth. But Fultroy is, I think, probably a heathenization of the concept of patron deities. Uh, mm Mm-hmm. So someone will declare themselves full Troy of Frey, and then that person will be a Frey's man or a Frey's woman. That's so it's how probably, it's borrowed from other... Probably, yeah. It's from borrowed other from other traditions, yeah. Traditions. U.S. heathenry also tends to focus more on having, like, a personal relationship with deity, mm-hmm. whereas, like, Scandinavian heathenry isn't interested in that. Right. It's more structured religion. So some key concepts in heathenry are weird, which is fate broadly speaking, Mm -hmm. um, sort of the tapestry of fate. Orlog is your fate personally, which is the threads in the tapestry. Mm -hmm. And you have a certain amount of sway over your Orlog. And by adjusting your Orlog, you can kind of adjust weird, but ultimately kind of everything's already established, right? Like the tapestry already has its shape. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of determining whether you're going to go with the flow of that fate or struggle against it. Right. Right. There's also the concept of luck, which is a more active and transferable force than people typically think of it as. So in heathenry, luck is something that you inherit within your family. It's something that you can build up and improve by doing good works and acting well and in accordance with with the gods. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's something that you can give to people at the expense of your own luck. Right. Mm-hmm. So like if you wish someone good luck, you are you are willing to them a certain amount of your good fortune. Mm-hmm. And luck is one of the forces that you can use to adjust your orlog. Another important concept in heathenry is frith, which is I mentioned earlier, kind of hard to translate. It's usually translated as peace, but the best way I can describe it is mutual kinship. It's the bonds you have with other people and maintaining those bonds peaceably and uh, with integrity, mm-hmm. I guess. It's sort of the most important underlying concept of heathenry. And the idea is that if you are in good frith with your kindred, with your family, with your tribe, you are looking out for each other. I guess, Mm -hmm. is the simplest way to describe it. And then the other main important concept in heathenry is the gift cycle or gebo, which is I give so that you may give, right? It's about Mm -hmm. exchanging things of equivalent value so that 
ever. And that's part of maintaining frith. So that the wealth and the opportunities are fluid, right? And they continue to move back and forth between individuals. Mm -hmm. And that also applies to your relationship with the gods. So there are some schools of thought that you should not give offerings to the gods unless you want something. And you should not give them more than what you want from them is worth. Mm -hmm. Because part of good gift giving, part of that that cycle, good gabbo, is not putting someone in debt to you. Gotcha. Right? There's also, in heathenry, the nine noble virtues. This is something that Edward Thorson came up with, and ostensibly it's based on the Havamal, but I don't use them, so I cannot describe them to you, because I don't care. Okay. The nine noble virtues are supposedly, like, they're supposedly derived from the Havamal, and they're supposed to be, like, ethics for living, Mm -hmm. but they're basically just a Ten Commandments knockoff. It looks like Air has a question. Could herbs with luck correspondences be used to prevent depleting your own store while boosting another's in that practice? Um, I don't know. I've never thought of trying it. You can, though, have luck given to you. It is a transferable force. So maybe if you work with the spirit of that plant and it's willing to transfer some of its plant luck to you and Mm -hmm. you incorporate that into your own luck, then yes, I would think so. Okay. Awesome. I did to look up, uh, so. Yeah, Southern, Southern Poverty, Poverty Law, Law Center. Center. Refers to those groups as being neo-Volkish. Yes. Okay, so here's the. Okay. And so, here are the groups. The Asatru Folk Assembly. Yep. The Volksguard of Holda and Odin. Yep. The Gallows Tree Wolkskin Volk Alliance. Uh-huh. Which is based in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Yeah, uh, good. Just set them on fire. Uh, the Pacific <laughs> Northwest Wolfpack Kindred. <laughs> the Wolves of Vinland. Yeah, you'll see a lot of the, the wolves and Vinland and yep. Odin are very common in this. And Wotan's nation. Yeah, yeah. Wotan yeah. is, yeah. uh, the Germanic name for Odin. Yep, just, so there you go. It just, yeah. uh, Yes, they're infuriating. They're very infuriating. Um, so the Volkish thing is actually something that's important to keep in mind with heathenry. So in Scandinavia, a heathen movement started in the 30s, or maybe a little before the 30s, actually. But in Germany, around the time of World War II, there was a a cult revival mm-hmm. that stole slash borrowed a lot of elements from Scandinavian folklore. Mm-hmm. And decided that those were the Aryan ideal, right? And uh, that was called Volkish, mm-hmm. which means folkish. Mm-hmm. So when you hear that folkish dog whistle in English, you should just interpret it to mean Volkish, the occult precursor, precursor. to Nazism. Yeah, yeah. When they talk about Nazi occultism, this is what they're talking about. They're mm-hmm. talking about Volkish early heathenry. Yeah, yeah. And U.S. heathenry started through the AFA from Stephen McNallan, who is a white nationalist, right. who got these ideas from Germany. So that's the root of modern heathenry. Right. It's, it's, this is not an unbroken line from our ancestors, right? Modern heathenry started with racism. And it's trying to break so our away job, from it now. Yes, our job now, if we want to be actually true to our ancestors and our gods, is to break that that racism that's embedded in the culture, right? Right. Heathenry is more conservative than other strains of paganism. It's more racist than other strains of paganism. It's more heteronormative than other strains of paganism and homophobic and transphobic than other strains of paganism. If we want to be good heathens, if we want to truly honor the spirit of our ancestors, 
who mixed and and mm-hmm. intermingled and traded and migrated and dealt with other peoples regularly. And, and I mean, it, we've talked about Loki exactly. and, and, if, and, Odin. and Odin. If we so and if we want to be true to our gods, who mixed and intermingled and gender fucked and all kinds of shit, if we want to be true to those people, it's we have to we have to do the work of breaking Stay away right. from those racist and heteronormative roots because those are our roots. Pretending they aren't is a waste of everyone's time. It started with with original Nazis. The neo-Nazis are just picking up where they left off. It's our job if we want this to, to be a it. yes, if we want this to be a valid religion to take it back from them and kick them out. Yeah. Yeah. Here here. Okay. Okay. I'm done now. You're done now? Yes. All right. Good. It's okay. Talk about witchcraft. Talk about witchcraft. Yeah, so because... what you're saying is we're not done. No, we are not done. <laughs> okay, just checking. Because there are, while Wicca has witchcraft within it, there is just yes, witchcraft. Yes, just witchcraft the practice. Yes. yes. There's witchcraft the practice, which is not necessarily, for some, there may be a religious right. component to it. But not necessarily. Or a devotional component to it, but not necessarily. So I've got a few that I'm going to talk about. I'll just touch on them briefly. Yes. First of all, we have traditional witchcraft, which is not related to Wicca. Nope. It is rooted in European folklore and basically customs, traditions, charms, things that were passed down over the ages, different varying practices that have been brought together into what has been called traditional witchcraft. Yeah, and we have And it does start in Britain. And yeah, and we have and we have some of that because like we found grimoires from yes. like little local witches. Exactly, exactly. So there is there is some uh, It's not an unbroken tradition. No, it's not an unbroken there, tradition. But it's had like spates of yeah. activity. One of the best and I was looking there's a really great blog again on Patheos Pagan by Athame and Stang, which is written by Keldon. And Keldon is a, a traditional witch and writes a, a wonderful definition about what traditional witchcraft is. But Gemma Gary is one of the yeah. most more popular well of, of the yeah. writers, well known of traditional witchcraft. I've kind of pieced together what Keldon said based on what Gemma Gary said in that you can kind of think of uh, traditional witchcraft as folk based belief and magical practices rooted in the land one lives upon, flavored by regional and cultural influences. So kind of, um, oh, what's her name? She has a blog. She's been driven off the internet because everyone Oh, is yeah, terrible. yeah, Sarah Lawless. Lawless, yes. Sarah Lawless is a traditional witch. Yep. And She writes um, a lot about regional witchcraft. Yes, yes. And that's, so you could, even though it's not considered traditional witchcraft, mm-hmm. um, other things along that line, because yep. traditional witchcraft, when you think of it, is really more along the Indo-European. Yeah. Well, and despite the name, it doesn't have a structure. <laughs> no, it really doesn't. And you can have, you can have covens, you can mm-hmm. have family groups that are, are lineaged. However far back they can Yeah, exactly. Confirm. But you also could consider influences from hoodoo, fairy lore, Kabbalah, Tantra, Gnosticism. When I was in Christian witchcraft, mm-hmm. uh, which I will talk about that too, that was Gnostic traditional witchcraft yes. based. And also Kabbalah should not be used probably. Well, it's been yeah, that's, misappropriated. That's I'm just saying that Judaism. is where some of the influences from what yeah. I'm reading, yeah. that is where some of the influences come from these things. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, mostly traditional witchcraft comes from Indo-European traditions and customs and beliefs mm-hmm. and rituals that have been handed down, remembered, misremembered, you know, misremembered <laughs> and renewed. Uh-huh, if you will. Yeah. There's also green witchcraft, of which I am a green witch. Right. It's um, another sort of structuralist. It, it is another 
another structureless practice because there is green Wicca, which right, is which started is a more by Ann Mora, which is more specific. It is a tradition that was created by Ann Mora based on her family uh, traditions and Wicca. Mm-hmm. What I'm talking about is green witchcraft, which is really based in nature and plant life and herbalism and a deep relationship with the earth. For instance, I consider the earth mother, the planet, if you will, the, the energy, the spirit of the planet to be a deity as part of, of green witchcraft. Other people may consider Gaia or some, I think I mean, some, yeah. you know, some kind of or earth you could mother yord. or yord, some kind of earth mother deity. If you go into a devotional place mm-hmm. for me, it is the earth itself, but most green witches will use natural items in their workings. They may work with the weather um, or with, you know, the rain, the dew, the snow, mm-hmm. things like that. Obviously, they work with the plant spirits, the tree spirits, the land spirits. We work with the four elements, the earth, air, fire, and water. That's part of our practice and not just calling them into witness, but to participate. Right using that energy in our craft. And of course we work with, you may have a deity, you may not have a deity. Some, you know, for quite a while I, right, I was for you considered didn't. myself a secular witch. Yep. Some may develop relationship with land spirits, which I have. Some may not. Mm-hmm. A lot of people um, will take the, again, the regional area, the, the spirits of the regional area, the flavor, the culture mm-hmm. of, of the regional area in the land. So like if you live in New England, you do a lot of like sea-based Yes, stuff. exactly. You you work with the area in which yeah. you live. Yeah. And most green witches, if they have access to working outside, prefer to work outside. That's where we feel most connected to the earth. The earth is a very important part of our practice. Mm-hmm. And then we try to have as, you know, we try to limit our footprints. So we tend to be eco witches, you know, Mm -hmm. very concerned about the environment uh, and things like that. And if we are able to, we like to work with, you know, like the energy of the earth, like in ley lines and in stones and things like that. So stone circles. Right. Things like that. So that is green witchcraft, which sometimes gets confused with hedge witchcraft. Right. Hedgecraft is actually more based on communication and, and travel in the other world. And, yeah, it's, it's so riding the hedge is yeah. actually um, a euphemism for astral travel. Yeah, so the, it's more other world based. Yeah. Oh, and this is the other thing. Some green witches will work with the fae mm-hmm. and some will not. I do not work with the fae. I work with the land spirits. Gotta know who I, you're talking to. Exactly. Now, if I sense that there is... And, you know, a good neighbor nearby, I will definitely... I will say, you know... Politely. Politely. <laughs> May I work here? Uh-huh. And if not, I will back away. Uh-huh. So, but some work with the fairies. Right. Some don't. And kitchen witchcraft... Oh, and I Which think can hedge, overlap some with green witchcraft. It can overlap with green witchcraft. But, like, a kitchen witch will primarily work with things in their kitchen. Right. The herbs they the work herbs with are mostly kitchen herbs. Are mostly kitchen herbs. Yeah, that's... So there's... That's where some overlap comes in herbalism and growing plants mm-hmm. and things. I think there's a lot of overlap between a lot of these witchcraft identities. There is. I think there really is. And then... Um, it's just sort of how you specialize. Exactly. And, you know, one is not bigger or better than the other. But anyway, I also wanted to say, just a brief, there is Christian witchcraft. I yes. know that's kind of controversial, you know, because you're dealing with somebody who is in a specified religion. Right. Um, they worship their deities, their, their Christian deities, but they add witchcraft as a practice mm-hmm. Or as part of their spiritual path. I did that at at one point in my life. I was a Christian witch 
considered the Holy Spirit was my mother deity. Right, sure. Um, and I know that we have some Christian witches in our in our mm-hmm. group. In the group. In the on, pride. On Facebook. There is a book um, that was written years ago called The Path of the Christian Witch. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also Christopaganism. So there's kind of a Wicca yeah, overlap think, for some uh, Christian witches. Uh, I think it's challenging to combine Christianity it with is. witchcraft. But some people manage to do it very effectively. Yeah, I, I think what they do is they don't read the Bible in a literal sense. They read it right. as a as a book of wisdom. I bet they read the Bible the same way I read the Eddas. Yes, exactly. And I think that's why it's able to... It's like some people are like, no, you can't be a Christian and a witch. And then there is kind of a weird uh, dichotomy yeah, there. A, I understand a that. A challenge. My personal belief is if it works for that person, yeah. who the fuck cares? Stay right. out of their spiritual and like, life. I'm a, I'm a Don't hard, tell them they can or cannot do it. Exactly. And like I'm a hard polytheist, so I believe all the gods are real. Yeah, yeah so exactly. Presumably two also is the Christian God and yeah. Jesus Christ. It's not for me. It's just not mine. Yeah, it's not for me. The anymore. same way uh the Greek gods aren't for me. Right. It, it's not you know, I try I was a Christian witch for several years mm-hmm. and then I went back into Christianity total before I came back into witchcraft. And that is done. That's no longer part of my life, but I'm not gonna begrudge someone else. Right, yeah who that works for them. And then there is, which has become very popular, Hecatean witchcraft, which I'm going to go into more detail yes, next week. Yes, we're going to talk about more next week. Um, but, but if you want to give us a brief primer. Yeah. The, the basically, obviously, uh, Hecatean witchcraft is revolved around devotion to Hecate right. as a deity. Who is or, the Greek deity. Who is a Greek deity. But this is not Hellenismus. But this is not Hel... Well, it can be. That's the thing. Is that there is Hecatean witchcraft that is modern Hecatean witchcraft, which is more... Um, it is not Hellenismus. It is more of a... It is more syncretic with right. other... You know, pulling from other traditions and beliefs and things That's like that. That's the Cindy Brandon That's style. That's the Cindy Brandon style. Then there, but there are more traditional Hellenismos styles of Hecatean witchcraft. Like Sarita Dast. Like Sarita Dast. Um, I believe she's more Hellenic. So it just, it depends. And then I also learned there are actually several schools of witchcraft, not just Cindy Brandon's school. There's Jason Miller has a, a, a class that he teaches on Hecatean witchcraft, and there is Jack Grail, who teaches a class. Hecate's just very popular She's right now. She's very, yeah. very popular She's right having now. a resurgence. Yeah, she is. And so... Um, probably stoked. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so She probably arranged it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So that's why I'm not going to go too far into it tonight, because yeah, I'm going to do it next Lauren, week. But, but it is a, it's becoming a bigger and bigger path. Yeah. In witchcraft, some people don't look at it as a devotional path, and some people do. It just depends on how you're going. Right. Because there's a lot of different ways to practice witchcraft because it is primarily a practice. Right. So For the most part, witchcraft is not a religion. Yeah, witchcraft is generally not considered a religion. It is considered a practice. Which is how, like, I just sort of bolt on the occasional witchy doing to my Mm -hmm. heathenry. Which is why you got... Because, like, there are are heathen magical practices. Mm -hmm. There's Seder and Galder, but sometimes those aren't appropriate for what I want to do, so I just borrow some witchcraft I learned from Mom. Well, I know Finn actually considers himself to be a green heathen because he Mm -hmm. practices green witchcraft and heathenry. And I I call myself a Hecatean green witch. So you can just sort of bolt witchcraft onto other practices. Exactly, exactly. Or practice it alone. And I've got Brigid uh, devotion in there as well. And Frigga. And Frigga. We've acquired quite a few goddesses from having been a secular witch. And then we haven't even mentioned like OTO and 
the other oh yeah there's paths. I mean there are so many too many that for us to possibly to cover. cover here comprehensively exactly yeah. exactly um, but if, but if you're interested in pro league then check out OTO I sure. guess but these are just some of the the basic more popular ones mm-hmm. I think certainly the ones that are popular now mm-hmm. uh, and hopefully we'll give you guys a place to start uh, on your own paths yeah exactly so. Do some research. Do some Google searching. Um, L4J says, question, related to the topic of different paths, but not attached to any single religion, though it sounds like Druidry, as it is currently practiced, is something that relies a lot on it. I hear a lot of stuff about people arguing for or against personal gnosis, things that are revealed or told to a current practitioner by their gods or guides. What is your understanding of it? So that's UPG, mm-hmm. um, unverified personal gnosis, and I'm fine with that for personal practice. And I'm fine for sharing that with your community as long as you mark it out as being UPG. Right? I would say the same. Yeah. And then there's also VPG. Right, yeah. which is verified. Verified personal gnosis. Or uh, sometimes called community gnosis. Like right. people who work with Loki regularly have all agreed, yeah, he likes cinnamon. That's not in the text anywhere, mm-hmm. but everybody who's ever worked with Loki is like, yeah, no, he'll take that offering. Is that something we talked about a little bit in our Working with Deities yeah, uh, episode? Bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so... And we'll talk about it more in the future. More in the we future. Have a- because, yeah, because with uh, Hecate and Witchcraft, you've got both a, a historical basis and a UPG basis yeah. and a VPG and basis. And I do think it's right. important to have... For, for that practice. Uh, I, I do think it's important to have multiple pieces there, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. It's difficult to have a living religion with just historical text, right? Right, yeah. To, to accept no personal gnosis, right? Right. To accept accept no new information. And if that's what you're doing, your gods, like, you're not really connected to them. Mm-hmm. Like, who are yeah. you talking to if you're not willing to listen to them when they talk back? Mm-hmm. Right, I think it, it is. It needs to be a combination of all. Yeah. So, so, I, so I think Thanks. The, a, a healthy religion is one that has a basis on in some kind of history, and that history may be recent, mm-hmm. like Wicca's history is yeah. recent, but it has a basis in that history. You know that history. On top of that, you have the community gnosis, mm-hmm. the things that other people in your community have sort of accepted and have received yeah. personally and have confirmed with each other and which has become accepted gnosis. Mm-hmm. It's not part of the historical text, but 300 years from now it will be because everyone's writing it down. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, you have your unverified personal gnosis, the stuff that is relevant to your practice specifically. And I think mm-hmm. all three of those layers are important for a healthy living religious mm-hmm. practice. I think that sharing your UPG is important. Right, mm-hmm. that's because how that's get. how you get ver- yeah. VPG. Yeah, exactly. exactly. But it's important to note right, you what is historical, right. yep. what is UPG. I encourage everyone to share their UPG. Yeah, absolutely. Just note that it's UPG. It's UPG. Right. Yeah. yeah say when this is what I right. have received. I received this from right. block. And this is what's and this is why it's relevant to me. And there's what no reason there's no way that. for it to become verified. If you don't uh, exactly, share it. Exactly. exactly. So it's important for unverified personal gnosis to be shared with the understanding that that's what it is. Exactly. So that it can, if it is borne out in the wider community, become community gnosis. Yeah. And then hundreds of years from now, that will be the historical basis. And I think it's difficult for human beings to recognize, because we have relatively short lifespans, I think it's difficult for us to recognize that the, the hope is for our religions to outlive us 
by mm-hmm. orders of magnitude, right? They will grow and change and evolve without us, right? Mm-hmm. Past mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. And they will incorporate the things that we learned, received, and believed in this time, yep. right? The The scope of history is hard to imagine, and I get that. But part of, at least for me as a heathen, part of my job is to be a good ancestor and to set down good foundations for the people who follow me. And so for me, that's sharing my UPG, noting that it is UPG, and distinguishing it from the rest of it so that future generations can say, okay, this is the stuff from the Eddas, and this is the stuff that Ode got, and this is the stuff that Freya Aswin wrote, right? And, like, distinguish these things and and recognize where, like, some of the stuff that I I believed was inspired by the Eddas or inspired by this thing that someone else wrote, or some of it was directly received. We have someone in our group on Facebook who has a deity who has no real mythology that is left that mm-hmm. they, that they can find and so all they have is UPG right. but if they don't share their UPG right. then no one else can learn about that deity right and that's like the the whole thing with Estra mhm yep you know we yep. we know there was an Estra but we know nothing about Estra so right. everything we have about Estra is UPG yeah. UPG but someday that will be the historical basis. And currently right. it's becoming verified personal yeah. gnosis. Someday, archaeolog- like digital mm-hmm. archaeologists will mm-hmm. look back on this mm-hmm. and say, this is what people in the 21st century believed. Mm-hmm. And in the 24th century, that's going to look fucking wild. Yeah. So it's important, I think, to have all of it yep. and to notate what it is. Mm-hmm. Can I make a suggestion for our room? Yes. For our Discord? Is let's put up a UPG channel. Can do. Oh, I think that's great. Where yep. people can share and then people can respond yep. to it. I can it, do that tonight. That kind of stuff. So that would be uh, great. We will have a UPG channel by the time this goes up. By the time this goes up, so that you can go onto the Discord server, mm-hmm. which the link is in this episode, and you can then have share your UPG, share your UPG about UPG everything. And, because ultimately, that's what our ancestors did. They had mm-hmm. experiences with their deities. They and shared they wrote them. them down. They wrote them down. Yep. And those collective experiences have now been. Passed on to us. Yep. Yep. So, cool. There we go. All right. So that's it for us for this episode. I oh. will not be on the episode next week. No, it'll okay. be just Gwyn and Ode talking about Hecate and witchcraft. That's right. Two pagans. Uh, two pagans of the three. You can find us everywhere, basically. If you go to Google and you type in the number three, pagans and a cat, it'll show up. As Finn is telling everybody on the Discord, Google. Just Google us. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because so. yep. we're everywhere. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Patheos Pagan. We're just everywhere. Yeah. Right. We're YouTube. We're yeah. everywhere. Redbubble. Yep. Uh, Patreon. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's pretty much everywhere. It's got everywhere. lots of stuff. Yep. We're yeah, everywhere. So we're everywhere. Like, we, have I don't a, know. we have a wide internet presence. That's right. Yeah, there's That's like right. 35 pages of stuff on Google yeah. that lists <laughs> us. So. That's right. So, <laughs> Google. Yes. Just, just Google us. Because we've gotten lazy. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Google and you'll find us wherever. <laughs> That's right. All right. Listen, bye. we've done 74 of these. That's, That's true. That's <laughs> true. Wow. Damn. Right. If you can't find us by now, right? How are you here? How did you find us? Fuck something up. So yep. anyway, right. we love you. Have yes. a great rest of the weekend or day or tonight week. or tomorrow week. week. I don't know. Whatever this gets. It comes out on Mondays. Comes out on okay. Mondays. Have a good week. Have a good there you week. Go. Bye. <laughs> You've been listening to Three Pagans and a Cat. Find out more information at www.threepagansandacat.com. <laughs>